How many love Jesus today? I wonder who loves Jesus more, Spring Lake Park, Lakeville, Elk River, Maple Grove, or online? Who loves Jesus today? Let me hear you. Ah. I mean, in the whole Emmanuel family, we just love Jesus around here. That's what we should be about in church as we come together. Hey, it's a great day to be back together. We're finishing our series today where we're eyes on eternity, and the title of the message is Focus on Eternity. And before I get into the message, I would just like to just reflect a little bit on what we've talked about throughout the month. You know, when you come to church, there's a lot of different things that people come for. Sometimes it's it's for the coffee. Sometimes people come, uh, hey, I can get, I can put my kids in the kids' ministry, and we got an amazing kids' ministry at our church. Love it. Uh, other people come because love the worship. Some people are like, sometimes I like Nate's talk. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons people come. But I want to just tell you what I come to church for. One of the things that I come is I, I look forward to seeing you lean into heaven. And looking forward to see you engage in what the Word of God says. And looking forward to what He's going to do through your life. And my hope is that you're not just listening to messages on Sundays, but that you're actually putting things into practice. You're, they're handing out right now a postcard that says, Eyes on Eternity. And uh, this is not meant to be something that you write your message notes on today. Uh, this is actually something I want to use at the end of the message where you put it into practice and you practice what I preach. How about that? That you put it into play and that we have something that's not just meant for here, but it's meant to go. It's meant to be a part of our story as we move forward. And, you know, we've had a lot of tools that we've utilized throughout the series. We've had small groups that have met, uh, connect groups, sometimes in families. They've gone online, and perhaps you haven't uh, seen the tools that we have yet. I encourage you to dive into it. We've got uh, links on our website, on our Emmanuel MN app, to resources for small groups, discussion. But there's also a worship component to that. And I especially love for you to, to make that a part of your story as you move forward. You can use that in groups as you gather. It's more intimate style worship. Our worship team got together and they did some songs and there's a, kind of an instrumental at the end of it so that you can pray during it. You could use that for your prayer time and your own personal devotions. You can utilize that for groups in the future. Families could use that for their own devotions. Just want to make sure that that lives on beyond even this series. And if you even if you weren't in a group, you can participate in that. All right, I want to dive right into this message today, and we'll start by talking about uh, a story that you may be familiar with, as you've heard me talk about it periodically, but my life before Jody and since Jody. Uh, I remember when I moved to Minnesota in 1991 as a college student to go to Bible college, and, uh, and I was a bachelor to the rapture. I was never going to get married. I was just kind of focused in on that. That was my focus. I was going to serve Jesus. I was going to do whatever he wanted me to do. And I figured that, you know, marriage would tie me down and prevent me from being what God wanted me to be. And then uh, I, that was 91. In the summer of 92, I was asked to do my internship at Emmanuel. And uh, during that internship, I had to lead a trip, a missions trip, like our Kingdom Builders trips that we have now, to Detroit for a Detroit outreach. And the female youth leader on that trip was Jody. And as we, as we prepared for that trip, we had all these meetings and practices and that kind of thing. And, and I started liking her, and I really look forward to our, our, our missions meetings. That was something I started looking forward to. 
And I couldn't help myself. I just started, I was drawn to her. I was thinking about her. She kind of dominated my thoughts. And, you know, I tried to be in denial about it. We went on the trip. And while we were on the trip, uh, God really did speak to me that I needed her. And some of you heard our story before. And, and uh, that God had called us to reach people together. And, and uh, so we came back from that trip. But one of the vows that we had as interns is that we were not allowed to date. So I had to wait another month and a half after the missions trip. And finally, we got together, and the, the, the internship was over, and we went out to McDonald's. I mean, no, college students balling on a budget, right? And as we sat at McDonald's, I said, hey, listen, uh, the kids in the youth group noticed something about us, and they're talking, and I like you, and I think you like me, too. And, uh, and that began a whole journey where she said, yes, she did like me. I was like, phew, I'm happy about that. Uh, where the next spring, uh, it all led up to this moment where I asked her to marry me. And in the journey from I like you at McDonald's to proposal and then to marriage, I, my lifestyle changed. I began to sacrifice other things. Nothing was as important as Jody, and so I made room for her in my schedule. That means I butted out my friends. I didn't have, I didn't do other things. Uh, I thought of her when I was going to go do something. Are you going to? And can you want to sit by me? Do you want to save a seat? And I included her into my story, all because I had in mind maybe I'll marry her. And then, of course, when we got engaged up in Duluth, I asked her to marry me, and then she didn't answer me. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I went too far. And in reality, she was, uh, she was wondering how I paid for the ring that I just was holding out to her. That's held true throughout our marriage, by the way, uh, over time. She's thinking about it. So then I asked her again. I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And that launched us into a whole nother part of our story where we began a journey, a lifetime journey now um, together. And of course, kids have become a part of that and, and our life has changed. But here's the point that I want to make to you today. We've been talking about eternity and throughout this series. We've talked about the reality of heaven and hell. We've talked about the judgment seat of Christ, where there's rewards that we can chase. But at the end of the day, how do we stay focused on eternity? How do we really lock in? Because you know what? Like, just like my relationship with Jody, I want to be married to her until death does parts us. I want her to be a part of my story. So I need to stay focused on those things that are most important. So let me say this. What keeps us from staying, staying focused on what really matters? Let me give you a few things. Uh, one of those is a lack of focus. Maybe we don't even think about it. We don't put purpose to our life. We don't look at how we make decisions about vacations and family and money and time. Well, listen, it is important for us to do this. Uh, if, you, if you wake up thinking, well, whatever happens, happens, it's hard to stay focused on eternity. You have to make sure that you actually think about it. Everybody said, think about it. Think about what you're going to do. The second thing is consumed. People are consumed with the present tense. That keeps us from, from being focused and staying focused on what really matters. When you're caught up with everything that happens around you, it's just what Paul was speaking about. He says, since what is seen is temporary, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, all the things around us are temporary. Just because a balloon went across the whole United States this week doesn't mean that it needs to consume all of your time. It's temporary. 
But it's amazing to me how little events or little things go on can impact and dominate our attention. And if we're focused on one thing, we're not focused on eternity. And that's why it's important for us to not get caught up in the news cycle and the bad news, because then fear becomes our leader or our appetite becomes our leader, whatever we want to think or feel or do. What keeps us from staying focused on what really matters? Three, following the crowd, just doing what everybody else is doing, kind of going along with what everybody else does. That's really the blind leading the blind. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So Satan has actually blinded the minds or the eyes of the people. Now listen, the people that we live around aren't all going to the same place. They aren't thinking about eternal matters the same way you might as a believer. And if you follow their pattern, you might be following the blind. And when it comes to the world that we live in, if you follow the crowd, are you really following blind people? Are you following the word of God, which is eternal? Listen, the realities are, are, are quite um, stark and and difficult to deal with as laws change and things are going on around us, it can really grip our hearts. So let's not follow those things around us. I can give you an example. Right now, our state government is confused and they're making decisions that are not biblical decisions, but they don't know it. Their eyes are blinded. They think they're doing the right thing. This week, they protected the ability to reproduce by allowing abortion right up to the moment of birth. To me, that, that is like, I, I know heaven's not happy, and I know that it grieves my heart, but listen, I can't dive into the battle by utilizing the weapons that the people who are blind are using. I need to fight with weapons that are not carnal, but they're mighty through the God to the pulling down of strongholds. So listen, when I'm caught up in that, even how I interrelate with people who are blinded impacts my view of eternity. If I get too distracted on the movements of people, people who are not going where I'm going, now that doesn't mean I don't stand for righteousness and it doesn't mean God isn't calling people into politics. Come on, somebody. In fact, if you're under the sound of my voice, God might be calling you to step into the gap and make better decisions than the people are making right now. And it may be that the church needs to listen to the spirit of who we need to vote for so that the people that are in there are making the right decisions. Enough of that. My point is that we cannot borrow our purpose from other people. That we have to get it from the word and from God. Otherwise, we're actually, it's like the tail wagging the dog. We're following on and we're overreacting to anything everybody else does. What keeps us from staying focused on what really matters? Fourth, we forget our why. It's amazing to me that we can forget the purpose or the why, the motivating factor for why we do what we do. You know, I'm, you know, it was 30 years ago this year that I proposed to Jody. How many know if I love her exactly the way I loved her back then, it would not be good enough today? I've got to keep updating my love for her and, and her for me. We need to keep the why in front of us. 
that unraveling can happen in anything. In churches, churches that lose their soul, it becomes all about them. We come to church to be served instead of to serve. You think about church in terms of, well, I'm here because somebody made me come to church. We can forget our why. We need to re-update and keep it focused, or otherwise we lose it. Churches that lose their soul are churches that are all about themselves, and they do not change the world. Frankly, churches who lose their why stop praying. And I would just like to say this, that you and I need to not lose our why. Why has God raised up Emmanuel in each of our locations? It's not for us. It's for the world around us. We're not against the world. We want to see the world transformed. We want to be light in the middle of darkness. And if we lose that sense of perspective, then all we're doing is we're, we're not reflecting the vision that Jesus had for his church. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of everyone. That's what we're called to do. Can I get an amen to that? Other than Bruce. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I've watched it in education and business and culture. You know, even colleges, great colleges and universities that were started as uh, their whole purpose was to train up ministers like Harvard and Yale. And they lose their sense of purpose, their why. There's a great book out called The, the Dying of the Light, and it chronicles the, the unraveling of institutions that started with a biblical purpose. Now they train up people to refute the church. And I think that can happen in any organization, any business, any family, any marriage, and any church. So here's the point. If we lose our why, Jesus wants to wake us up. And he wants to pull us back in so that we stay focused on eternity. And he told stories to wake us up from drifting and losing focus. So today I want to just focus on one story that Jesus told that's really important. If we catch what he's saying, it can change everything for us. In Luke chapter 18, turn there with me, excuse me, 16. Luke 16, verse 19, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple, he was a Viking fan, and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. Not really. Those of you that wonder, I inserted that part. So there's a rich man clothed in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. Some versions say Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead, or Hades. And there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. This is interesting. You have two characters here. One is a poor man. Lazarus is his name. And Lazarus has nothing. He's got wounds. He sits outside the rich man's gate. Dogs are licking his wounds. He's probably a beggar. That's his only source of income. And he's sitting out there. On the other hand, you have this guy who's a rich guy who walks by him every single day. Now, Jesus has a way of bringing a story in 
that can grip us in our own perspective in our life. Because Jesus understands that we see people with much and people with little, and we pass by them all the time. And in this particular story, you see that Lazarus is brought to heaven, but the rich man is brought to hell in torment. And this rich man sees Abraham with Lazarus right next to him. I want you to notice that Jesus is painting a picture of what the eternal part of life is beyond our death on earth. He paints that picture. Some people would like to say, well, why would a loving God create a hell? But I want you to know that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And Jesus spoke of hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And it wasn't because he hates people. It's because he loves people. In fact, Jesus went to the cross because he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Jesus actually loves people so much. But we're also going to see that the choices that we have in this life determine where we end up. And that's the whole reason that he tells this story. The time for choosing for Lazarus or for the rich man are over at this point of the story. It's already been done. They both die. And he says, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. It's interesting that whoever you are on this side, you're more of on the other side. He's still full of pride, this rich man is. He's still looking down at Lazarus. He's still trying to order people around. But let me tell you something. Once you die, you don't have any choices anymore. He didn't change his heart on this side. So what? He became more of it on the other side. And he thinks that he's still better than Lazarus. I think we're going to be amazed at who, who has mansions in heaven. The people that we walk by, the people that serve, the people that quietly care for others and don't need any attention. We have some amazing people in our church that serve on Team Emmanuel every week, and they're not looking for a pat on the back. They're just loving people. I just love seeing it and watching. I, I, I get to see caregivers that come alongside people as they're dying, and they're hospice nurses, and I think hospice nurses are going to get a special reward in heaven. People that walk alongside families. I, I just think we're going to be surprised. This rich man, though, he's proud and he thinks he's better than Lazarus. <laughs> the tables got flipped in Jesus' story. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there are two places, and you can't go back and forth. The time to do that choice was before they died. There's been many years of funerals in our church, and one of the great honors we have as pastors is walking alongside families as as we honor them and walk with them through their valley of the shadow of, of death and grief. But I can tell you this, that when I speak almost every time now, I have Pastor Daniels, our founding pastor's words in my head. He said this, he said, when you do a funeral, Nate, he said, you never preach anybody into heaven at the funeral. Their choice has already been made. 
You know, the desire of all the family that's there and the close ones, loved ones and everything, their desire is, please let them be in there. But actually that moment was before then. And then, you know, he said this. He doesn't mean that you preach them into hell either because the choice is already made. Now you turn and talk to the people that are alive and say, you still have a choice. Not only about heaven and hell, but how you will live. Whether or not you will get rewards when you get there. You can't accumulate rewards after your death. You get to live with the rewards you prepared for. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's showing that there's a chasm there. You have everything while you're alive. And Lazarus had nothing. And now Lazarus is being comforted. And you are in anguish, he says to the rich man. One of the greatest truths in life is that no matter the amount of injustice or pain or suffering, they're all temporary. Remember the first week that I preached on this series where I brought up a very long rope and I talked about the rope was eternity and a really small segment was this life. Sometimes we get so consumed by our hurts and our wounds and our worries and our tragedies that we think it's eternal, but it's not. See, this Lazarus had wounds and he was begging and there was huge injustice about what he was walking through. But the reality was, as Jesus tells the story, he's now being comforted in eternity. His pain was temporary. His comfort was eternal. The opposite was true with the rich man. The rich man had all the comfort in a temporary way. And now his pain is eternal. And see, we get to choose what we're going to do with that. The Bible is full of recognition that life isn't fair, that there are huge injustices, and yes, the wicked sometimes prosper for a while. But this is why we need to focus on eternity. This is why. This too is going to pass. There will be a reckoning. Those who suffer will be comforted. Verse 27, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. This is a critical moment of Jesus' story because now the rich man focuses on what's most important. He waited to this moment, but now he finally does, and it's too late. He starts thinking about his family which he should have thought of them when he was alive. And it's amazing how the prospect of the end helps us focus on what is most important. If you can think forward to your end, it can influence how you live today. It's amazing what will happen with you. He says, please warn them. In other words, don't don't let them go the route I went. Tell them there's a better pathway. There's another way to live. And unfortunately, it was too late for that to happen. You know, I, you know, I think about the church and I think about every single weekend that we gather together. I don't know if this is a person's first Sunday or their last. I never know. In fact, we've got a commitment here at Emmanuel that any time that we have a service, there will be a salvation response prayer at the end because we never know what moment is there. And that's, I'm going to keep doing that. You've, you, in fact, I've got this commitment that if somebody else is speaking and they don't do it, I'm going to grab the mic. And we've trained our pastors to do that. It's going to happen at the end of every service. Why? Because we know it's critical that people know Jesus. 
It's part of our mission statement for everyone to know Jesus. That's something we're passionate about. That's why we do Super Sunday next week. It's not for you so you have a better show, and it's not entertainment for Sunday church. It's an easy event to invite your friends to, for them to come to church. Many people won't come to church on Christmas or Easter. They might come any other time, but they'll come to hear a football player talk, and they'll have a lot of fun doing it, wearing football jerseys and other things that we got going on. Why do we do it? Because we have time on this side. There's still time to reach your next door neighbor. There's still time to invite your friends. There's still time for them to come to Christ. And if you have that in mind, it will change the way you view church and change the way you view your relationships with other people. He says, please warn them. However, the eternal truth is revealed in verse 29. Jesus says, but Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Listen, people's hearts are are blinded. Their eyes are blinded. Satan is blinding them. We need God to move in them now. We need a move of God. And just because Jesus rose from the dead isn't necessarily going to awaken our, our world around us unless we partner with the mission of God, asking the Spirit of God to equip us to be bold. Amen? How many need God's boldness? Because you're scared sometimes, right? Well, you need God to help you have that vision, eternal vision. So let me give you three things of what will keep us focused on eternity. What will keep me focused on eternity? The first one is this. Connection to people who are eternally focused. We need to stay connected to people who are eternally focused. If we were like those that were around, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. Almost every week for the last about year and a half, I meet someone after service, walks up to me who hasn't been to church for a couple years, and they came back. And often I will hear these words. I I forgot what I was missing. I forgot what I was missing. Isn't that true? Sometimes I think when we drift and we we forget what we're missing. We don't need the information. We need the people in church. Listen, You can go online and you can listen to a thousand preachers. You can catch me on a podcast. You can get the information, but that's not what you need. You need to be together with other believers because when you gather together where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there in our midst. And there's something about gathering together. Listen, when you get with your sisters and brothers, you come into a place, we begin to worship. We start in the natural and we move into the supernatural. The hunger of other people ignites the hunger of your heart. The eternal longing for Jesus to return ignites all of us to stay in the race. And listen, when you feel like quitting, you don't need to pull away from church. You need to get connected in church. We need to be a part of, and listen, not just of the church, not just attending the church, be in the church. Be a part of it. Those of you that are sitting on the fence and you're observing a little bit, go to growth track. Jump in and take that next step to be a part of the church. Be a part of what God is doing. It's good for you. 
It's not for me. It's for you to stay connected. It'll keep you from drifting. And when we gather together, we recognize that this world is not our home. As strangers in a foreign land, Jesus is our home. And we gather together to meet with Jesus, and he is eternal. Come on, somebody. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. People here are praying for our loved ones together. We're growing in faith together. And more than any time in history, we need each other. We need to remind ourselves to stay on mission. Turn to the person next to you and say, stay on mission. Come on, stay on mission. When we gather, we focus on the word and listen to the spirit. The church focuses on the word and the word is eternal. Luke 21, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Matthew 5, 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. We're going to focus in on, listen, the world outside, they're trying to twist the words of Scripture to fit their narrative. But when we're a part of the church, we're leaning in and we're, and we're listening to what the Word of God is saying to us. The Spirit helps us stay focused. You know, in Revelation, Jesus spoke to the church through the Spirit. He said, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. If you want to hear what the Spirit is saying to you, go to church. You're part of the church. You want to hear what the Spirit is saying? He's going to speak in the church. So all the gifts are all about. It's about the body of Christ being connected. It's not isolation and disconnection. No, we need to be together. Can I get an amen to that? What will keep me focused on eternity? Number two, live with what if faith. Live with what if faith. What if we pray and we loved and we believed? What if we are always looking forward to what God can do? It'll pull us out of the temporary news cycle. That what if. Listen, I hear people, it's getting so dark out there and everything's bad in the world. No, duh. doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand that. But the church doesn't need to follow the doom and gloom. We don't need to be full of sorrow because things are going evil. No, we have Jesus. And Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. While it gets dark, we need to be his light. We need to be full of his confidence. What if we linked into the eternal purposes of God? They're not worried about the floods and the fires all around us, even though we walk through the waters we won't drown. Even though we're thrown in the fire, we won't burn. Why? Because we have Jesus. What if we had that kind of faith instead of looking at the temporary all the time? Sky's not falling. <laughs> Balloons might be coming out of the sky, but it's not falling. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. What if the church actually did that? Posting on it is not going to change our land. Griping isn't going to change our world. The prodigal son or daughter that you have Giving them a lecture isn't going to bring them home. But what we have got to do is get on our face 
And what if faith believes that God hears our prayers and he will come through? Can I get an amen to that, church? Finally, what will keep me focused on eternity? Number three, do something with whatever God gives you. Don't wish for another day or when I get to that point. Let's do something with our days today. Luke chapter 16. If you are faithful in little things, Jesus says, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Listen, God is watching what we do every single day. And every day is an opportunity to do something with what you do have. You do have time. You do have a place where you put your head down at night. You have food on the table. You have relationships and family. You do have time. We, we spend too much time focused on what we don't have. But why don't we do something with what we do have? To make today an eternal day. Jesus did this with his disciples. He spent three years with them. And every day of those three years changed eternity for so many others. Because when he was ascended into heaven, those disciples took what Jesus did with them every day and he tur they turned the world upside down. Imagine if moms and dads took advantage of the days they had with their kids. The impact of the time you spend with your kids is enormous. Do what you can with the time you have. And listen, you'll have more time when they're younger than when they're older. See, when they're younger, they take all your time and all your sleep and everything else. And it can feel like, this is overwhelming. I don't know how to do it. Just remember, this is eternal time you're on. Every investment you make, every day that you love, Every day you ask for forgiveness because they see you. And you train up a child. Listen, it's not the world's responsibility to train your children. It's not the school's responsibility to train your children. It's your responsibility to train up a child. And every day matters. You aren't going to be able to stand before the throne and say, I'm sorry, God, that school's taught my kid this. It's your responsibility. you got to take responsibility and do the best you can with it. And as they get older, you need to be age appropriate with how you train up a child. Because as kids grow up, they gain an independence and they're moving towards moving out. Some of you are like, yes, I can't wait till they move out. And some of you are like, no, you got the death grip on them. You're not letting them go. You're a, you're a trailer parent or a helicopter parent. You want to hover over them when they go off to college. Listen, we got we to gotta give them what they can receive a given time because by the time they leave it's too late so you got to make the most of the time the short amount of time to invest in them and then it's what up to them whether or not they ask for help because if you give a kid advice and they've already moved out of your house they'll stop talking to you unless they ask for it right and by the way let me back the bus up a little bit when they're teenagers and teenagers want to tell the parents what to do just remember, you still have some power. Just remember it. As long as you pay the cell phone bill, you pay the car insurance, you have leverage, baby. Use it. 
Even if they hate you for it, love your kids, but don't let them parent you. There's too much going on in the world right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a rabbit trail now. There's too much going on in the world around us right now where we're just letting five-year-olds determine their destiny. That's not God's way. That might be the world's way. That's not God's way. We need to train up our children so that they can defend their faith, know who they are in Jesus, and their identity comes from him, not from their feelings. In church, you can do that. Can I get an amen to that? And by the way, let me just say this while I'm at it. I think we got a whole bunch of people in our church that are more mature Christians. You're, you've aged out of parenting. Now you've moved into grandparenting or you're older. It's not time for you to go to Florida, check out, although I went last week and it was nice out there. It's not time to like retire. There's no retirement in the Bible. We need to keep investing in the next generation. That's our responsibility. Can I get an amen, church? We got to be able to do that. Ah, that was not in my notes. Doing nothing is not an option. James 4, 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's not an option. I want you to take out these postcards now. So all the things that God has put you on the planet to do and be, your eyes need to be focused on eternity. And what I would like is I'd like you to fill this out, even begin now. You might have to finish it up later on today. But I want you to fill it out. What, who and what my eyes are focused on. And maybe it's making that plan, being intentional. You can put the names of your important people in your life, your family members. You could put those that God has called you to invest in. You can think about your, your, what is your career and your intellect and the things that you've developed over, what are they meant to be utilized for, leveraged for? Where are you meant to influence for eternity's sake? And I want you to go ahead and put it out, put it on there. And you might just be thinking about it because you can't write it right now or whatever, but I just encourage you to do that. And what we're going to do today in each of our locations is we're just going to say, hey, we're going to dedicate our eyes being focused on eternity. And whatever's on your seat may not be on someone else's seat. So it's a very personal thing for each of us to do. And we're, what I'd like you to do, and you can do what you want with it, put it somewhere where you'll remember it, in your house or in your Bible or on the refrigerator. Somewhere you go regularly, you know? Make sure that you put it there and think about what am I focusing on? It's amazing how it will resolve conflict for your life when you remember what's most important, how you spend your time, make plans. It'll help you focus in on what's important. And I want to encourage you that you can do this. All right, wherever you're at in writing those things down, I want you to stand up in church today. And what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate, we're going to dedicate our lives to him. When Jody and I got married and others, you get married, one thing that happens is you get to the front, you say, I do, you put the rings on. The pastor presents to the congregation or the people that are assembled. It was my privilege to introduce to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Wah, 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 right? And whoever that is. Well, everybody cheers and the couple hasn't done one thing yet. 
What are we cheering for? We're cheering for the future. We're believing these vows are going to hold. We're believing that this is a home that's starting right now. And we're believing it. That's faith. Faith is trusting in things not yet seen. Today, our eyes are on eternity, focusing on him. And I want us to have eyes that are focused in faith in the future. If you can, I want you to slip out of where you're standing and come to the front of the room, if you can. Maybe go into the aisle if you're in the balcony because you're like, man, that's a long ways away. But take a step away from where you've been standing and move forward, and we're going to dedicate it just like we would at the end of a wedding ceremony. And we're just going to lift these up to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm determined to keep my eyes focused on eternity. I'm determined to stay focused. And you can take your card, make sure that you got your thoughts on that, and um, yeah, just make your way forward. We're dedicating it to the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I'm super proud of you, church. I'm proud of how sincere you are. We don't have perfect people in our church. They're not allowed. <laughs> but I'm grateful that what God is doing, he's not done. Amen? He's not done. The best is truly yet to come. And we're going to dedicate this to the Lord, and then we're going to sing together as we focus on heaven. Let's go ahead and lift up your cards to heaven. If you don't have yours with you, just lift your hands up as if you're lifting your life up to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church, just pray. Talk to him right now. Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Lord, this is an eternal step. This is an eternal day. I'm taking a step into all that you have planned. Looking forward to the rewards in the future. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you gave us today another day to step into all that you have planned. And when Jesus, when you shared that story of Lazarus and the rich man, you're wanting to motivate others who are still alive to live right, to live different with the end in mind. And I pray, oh God, that you give us focus. Help us to stay focused on eternal things. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And so we ask, oh God, that you would enable us to remember eternal things. When it comes to our kids, that Lord, that we would pray our kids through the seasons of their time, but we would trust you for the long term, not getting caught up in the, the current moment. I pray, God, that you'd bring prodigal sons and daughters back home to you, people who have left the faith, friends who have wandered away, people whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this age. We pray in Jesus' name that you would bring a move of God in our church and to the world around our church, that we would be an eternally-minded church, that we would be thinking about things above, that we would have the fruit of the Spirit as we listen to you, and it would be poured out on the people around us. And that every day would matter because we follow you. Lord, we trust you. And all of us as a church, God, we look to the throne, the eternal throne of God. Right now, the angels and the elders are all bowing down. The saints that have gone before us, worshiping you, crying, holy, holy, holy. Lord, help us to have that moment in our mind for our future. 
In fact, we join all saints in past and present and future as we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we count our name in. We're in with you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.